0: Welcome to Community Life Church, we're so glad you're here. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here at Community Life Church. And I'm so excited, There's, that's my lovely wife, and uh, I'm so excited to be bringing the message to you this morning. Um, it's the last message that will be in this building on a Sunday for the end of the year. It's a lot of endings right now, but that's Okay. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through a series looking at the gifts that the Magi brought, and over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at not just what did they bring, but what was the significance of the gift that they brought. Is that better? Okay. Sounds good. All right. So, like I said, we've been looking at the gifts that the Magi brought and and what the significance is in the story of God. And not just, not just frankincense and myrrh and gold, but what did it say about what was said about it previously in the scriptures, in the story of God? But if you don't know who Magi are, like most of us, we didn't grow up going to school to be Magi. Magi are astrologers slash astronomers who, who studied the stars. And, and so that's how they knew to look for the star to go find baby Jesus. And that's, at least that's the most we know. There's a lot of guesses over what else that they knew, but that, at the very least we knew that. And, but once again, there's so much we don't know about these mysterious men. We know that they came far away to come and worship this king who was born king of the Jews, Jesus. The irony is that these men came from very far away to come and worship Jesus, but the religious leaders, when they hear about Jesus being born, couldn't be bothered to come and visit him. And, and so if you missed either of the past two weeks, if you missed the, the sermon on frankincense or the sermon on myrrh, I would really encourage you to go back. We learned so many amazing things about how it connects back to the story in the Old Testament. We, we figured out the significance of these, of, of these gifts that the Magi brought. And, and, and the reality is that we saw that frankincense is not just a hard word to spell on your Christmas crossword. But but rather, it was the incense that God commanded his people to put in the center of the tabernacle, in in his tent. The tabernacle was God's mobile temple in the Old Testament that went with the people of Israel as they journeyed out of Egypt into the Promised Land. And so this incense was only supposed to be used in the presence of God. And so when this gift is given, it's significant because Jesus had finally, God's presence had taken on human form. That's what Jesus is, is Jesus is God in the flesh. And so this frankincense symbolized that God's presence was no longer in a temple, in a building somewhere, but it had taken on human flesh, that God had come near, that God had tabernacled among us. And, and, and so this, this, this frankincense has deeper meaning, but so does myrrh, because myrrh was used for burial spices. Now, if someone brings a coffin to Brooke's baby shower, I'm going to have some words with you. Because it's a weird gift to bring a baby, something relating to death. And, and, and the reason why it's significant is because also, not only is Jesus God in the flesh, but Jesus is God in the flesh coming to die. That Jesus knew, whenever he realized who he was, he knew that he was going to die in our place. And this further is significant because in the story of God in the Old Testament, myrrh was connected with the sacrifices. Myrrh was connected to the, the things that were killed and then put on the altar. And so, and, and this, this act of sacrifice, it was part of what's called atonement. And atonement is, is, it's a big word, but it really can be broken down very easily, at-one-ment. Atonement is, is the act of making one right with someone. And so this atonement that they practiced in the Old Testament was was to bring peace between them and God, to to sacrifice something so God would cover their sins, that would cover their sins so they would be right with God again. And then Jesus, we learned last week, Jesus on the cross, he's offered wine mixed with myrrh right before he makes atonement for the sins of the world. So frankincense, it points to Jesus as God, and myrrh, it points to Jesus as the man who came to die. It's crazy to see these connections between Bethlehem and Calvary and all the way back. But now we're going to look at another gift. So frankincense and myrrh, we don't know what that is, and we definitely don't know what gold is either. No, no, that was on purpose. Anyways, so I think I'm funny, but but. Anyways, so the, but the final gift is gold, and as we look at this, we'll we'll ask a very important question. What does gold have to do with the story of God? And, and how does that connect to peace? And even more importantly, what is peace? In 1914 uh, was the first year of World War I. And, and, and at that time, they, they participated in something called trench warfare. And so what they would do is, if you don't know what that is, they would they would build a trench. They would dig and dig and dig these deep trenches and then fire at each other across the battlefield. And, and, and so this has been going on for a couple of months and you've got the British soldiers on one side and you've got the German soldiers on the other side and they're fighting back and forth and they're firing and sometimes they'll run in across what's called no man's land to the other side and, and, and then the, the other side will do it as well but it, no one's moving anywhere. They're both entrenched on both sides and the battle continues to rage on. But on Christmas day, the British soldiers notice something there was an eerie silence, the battlefield was quiet, and then they heard something. In the midst of the silence, they heard, Merry Christmas, where's it coming from? Merry Christmas, and they look up, and coming across no man's land is, are the German soldiers. And at first, noticeably, they're, they're like cautiously worried. Are they trying to trick us? Are they trying to sabotage us? Are they trying to attack us? Only to look up and see that the German soldiers had no weapons. They had, they had nothing in their hands. And they still sh- shouted in English, Merry Christmas! And so the British soldiers, they emerged from their trench, cautiously optimistic about what was going to happen. And they even shook the hands of the soldiers from the other side. And soon some of them began to sing hymns and carols, some in German, some in English, together to singing songs of Christmas to King Jesus. And then they began to give gifts to these men that they'd they'd been shooting at, that they'd been in war with. And some even played soccer. For a few moments, the war seemed so far away. As they saw these other men on the other side, no longer as enemies, but as human beings. Years later, one of the German soldiers was reflecting on this story. He said, how marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. But sadly and far too soon, after Boxing Day, the war resumed and the moments of truce were over. And that's the problem with with, with truces and ceasefire. They sure look and feel a lot like peace for a moment. But eventually, the conflict resumes. Without working toward peace, all ceasefires end in war. But what is peace? Is it the absence of conflict, the absence of war, and the absence of struggle? Is it the absence of pain, the end of fighting and the end of arguing? Is peace the absence of worry? Is it the end of bad diagnoses and the end of possible complications? Is peace the absence of hunger, a day when people no longer need to worry if they will eat today? Is it the absence of loss, the end of death and the end of broken relationships? Is this all that peace promises? Is the absence of the bad thing, whatever that bad thing may be? Is that the only hope we have? That someday things won't be so bad? Or is it possible that someday might actually be good? In ancient Hebrew, there's a, there's a word that we translate peace and it's, it's the word shalom, shalom. Can everyone say that? Shalom. And this word, while it does mean the absence of conflict, much more it means the presence of wholeness and restoration. Much more than just the absence of something, it's the presence of the right thing. In the the Old Testament, it's used when when Solomon completes the building of the temple. It says that the temple is shalom, the temple is complete, the temple is finished. And, And when King David comes to his brothers on the battlefield, And he asks them, how is your shalom? How is your peace? Are you okay? So the biblical idea of peace is much more than just the end of conflict, though it includes it, but actually the presence of wholeness and completeness. The idea of a world restored back to the order it was before the fall. The idea that eventually there will be a day when wholeness will reign and brokenness will end. And, and, and that God's goal, his project of peace, is pursuing wholeness rather than just a ceasefire. God wants to bring his peace and restoration to the world, to all of his universe, not just to stop the problems, but to restore it to what it could be and should be. And he starts this in Abraham, with Abraham. He picks Abraham out of all the people in the world to be the father of his people and the father of his nation. And this story continues when Abraham's children come out of of Egypt and they, they take their exodus into the Promised Land. And it continues all the way to the story of Jesus. This story, this project of peace that God has for his good world. But how does gold connect with peace? That's a good question. Much like frankincense and myrrh, I have never received the gift of gold. And gold, but, but in all, all seriousness, gold has pretty much been the same throughout all time. It's been used for currency, for jewelry, for people who are important and wealthy to, to flaunt. And it was prim- primarily given in large amounts to kings and gods. So when the Magi bring this gift of gold to King Jesus, it was their acknowledging his identity. However, they found it out, whether through the prophecies of the Old Testament or just from the stars, these magi recognized that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And when they came, they brought the gifts fit for a king. And, and the reality is that this gold then probably financed the trip that they took to Egypt. When, when Joseph and Mary escaped to get to, to get to Egypt to go away from Herod, who's trying to kill Jesus... They probably used this gold to finance that trip. So, so in some sense, the Magi saved Jesus's life. But just like the frankincense and the myrrh, it has significance in the, the greater story of God as well. Once again, the, the, the tabernacle or God's mobile temple that he constructed through the people of Israel, he commanded them exactly how he wanted it built. In the middle of the tent was the Ark of the Covenant. And yes, it's the same ark as the one from Indiana Jones. But it didn't, it didn't melt anyone, at least not that I know of. But, but God gave very specific instructions for this ark and how it was supposed to be built. And we find that in Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 22. It should be on the screen. It says this. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold, It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each side of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So, so, so God tells them to use the gold to be the lid of God's Ark. So, so that is, that is significant, and we'll get back to that in a second, but the place of atonement translated here is translated in another version, the mercy seat, the mercy seat. And scholars have said, in some sense, the mercy seat was God's throne in the world. That this is where God reigned in his world. Yes, God is omnipresent. Yes, God is everywhere, but in some special sense, God's presence was especially on the ark and especially reigning from the mercy seat. And this was the place where he would meet and speak to his people. He reigned from a golden throne from a seat of mercy. Now, what's the significance between the gold and the peace? It's right here. That God, reigning from a golden throne, reigns from a throne of mercy and not judgment. Amen. That, that God makes peace with his people, this atonement cover, this ark which is where the, the blood is covering the ark. Remember, that's the atonement, the making right. That's where the sacrificial blood is placed. And that place of atonement is where God reigns in the world. Think about what this says about God, the king over everything. The whole earth is his, but he chooses to reign on the mercy seat. That our God is not a God far off in, just who doesn't care about our problems. That God isn't the God who's gonna let us live and, and do our thing and, and run away from him forever. He doesn't want that for us. God wants us to be made right with him. God wants to give us his peace to be made at peace with him. And this is our first reality of peace, the first of three realities. Is this, peace flows from God's throne. Peace flows from God's throne. So just like last week, how we talked about the connection between Jesus' death, his sacrifice, and atoning for uncovering our sins, we see the connection between gold and the place where God rules and forgives our sins. And the significance is that is this, is that God atones for our sins. He covers our sins with, with sacrifice, whether in the Old Testament through animals or the New Testament through Jesus. He covers our sins and reigns from the place of our forgiveness. And, and this connects again to another prophecy, which we just heard from earlier in our Advent reading in Isaiah 9. It says this in Isaiah 9, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This child born to be the one who who is in charge of the government, this prince of peace, will have an unending government and peace. He'll have an unending government and peace. Well, what's significant about this? Well, at the beginning of Isaiah, we find that King Uzziah had died. King Uzziah had been a pretty good king. He, He mostly loved God until the end, and then he kind of went off the tracks. But right after Uzziah was King Ahaz, And King Ahaz never cared to to follow God at all. And and so in Isaiah's day, there is a group of people who are realizing that if a godly king doesn't reign long enough, then eventually the kingdom of peace will end. That eventually the next guy's not gonna be as great. And that was the history of Israel. They would have a good king who would point them to God, and then they have five kings who point them away. And this happens again and again and again and again. And so this promise of one whose kingdom will never end was encouraging to them because there was coming one who would bring peace, who would bring them to God and would never stray. And this one, this this prince of peace, this prince of shalom, this prince of wholeness, the one whose government does not end is a government that doesn't contribute to the brokenness in this world, but rather heals and restores the broken and his reign will never end, and he'll never be replaced with someone else. We, we know that eventually most kings either end up dead or they end up corrupted. Most kings either, the, either the, they, they die too soon to bring the peace that, they, that we wanted, or they end up contributing to the brokenness in the world. Only a perfect king would not abuse eternal power. And we've seen this in our own human history, throughout all, of you, not just in Israel, but in every nation. When the wrong person gets in charge, bad things happen. And even when the right person gets in charge, they never seem to be in charge long enough. But either way, they either die before the peace comes or they end up contributing to the brokenness themselves. So all other kinds of peace are temporary. Many kings can bring peace for a season, but only one king can bring peace for eternity and his name is Jesus, and Jesus came for this reason, to bring God's peace and fullness to those near and far off, that Jesus is bringing a kingdom that will never end, and his peace will never cease, and this is good news. The first reality is that God's peace flows from God's throne, and the second reality is this. God's peace is the goal of God's kingdom. This full peace, this full shalom peace is the goal of God's kingdom. And the Jews of Jesus' day knew this. They knew that a king was coming, and they believed it, and they wanted it so bad because they were living under the thumb of Rome. They were oppressed. They had no freedom. They had to do what Rome said they were had to do. They wanted independence. But the problem is this, that they thought that king was gonna bring it about. He was gonna bring about peace through, through war. They thought the, the king was gonna come in and kill all of their enemies. They thought it was gonna be another David who would overthrow their enemies. And this is what most in the first century hoped that Jesus would be. Yet we see both in Bethlehem and in Calvary, their understanding was misinformed. Jesus wasn't just another king to bring in military might and overthrow Rome and their enemies. No, that's not the kind of king Jesus is. Jesus was like God on the ark, reigning from the place of atonement. Jesus wasn't crowned after defeating Rome. Jesus was crowned on the way to the cross. Jesus doesn't defeat his enemies by killing them. He defeats his enemies by dying for them. That's the kind of king we have in Jesus. Jesus doesn't reign on a throne in Jerusalem, but he reigns on the throne that was the cross. This is how Jesus brings peace. Not by continuing the rhythm of war and hate and violence. No, Jesus falls on the sword rather than picking it up. All because he knew that God would use his sacrifice to bring peace. A king reigning through dying. A king reigning through dying. Only a wise God would do something that seems so foolish. But even when he was crowned king on Calvary, Jesus was already king in Bethlehem. Jesus was already king in Bethlehem. Look with me again at Colossians 1, which was, again, part of our Advent reading. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus became human to reign as king of the Jews. But even before time, Jesus was king of the universe. In Colossians, we see Jesus is the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things. But he's also the God who existed before Genesis. This is the baby that the Magi came to worship. This is the baby that the Magi came to give gold to. This king, this king who existed from forever and will exist into forever. This king who reigns over everything regardless of the circumstances of our world. Jesus is king. And God's project of peace we see in Colossians was realized when this baby who was king became the man who died on the cross. And this leads us to our third and final reality of peace is that has been bought by God, our King. When everyone thought Jesus was defeated, he had actually begun the defeat of everything that is broken. When his body was broken, he had actually conquered the powers of sin and death. Je- Jesus was just as sovereign in Bethlehem and in the grave as he was on, on the blessed Sunday. Because Jesus was always king, not just when he rose from the grave. And our king will not stop until he finishes this project he started, this project of shalom, this project of peace. He will continue to work and restore his creation, finally fulfilling it at his second return, the advent that we await right now. This is our king. He has brought peace to those who are far and near. Right now it looks like peace between us and God, but one day it will look like peace between all the universe. This is the peace that comes from Jesus. This gift of peace, it flows from the throne of God. It is the goal of God's kingdom and was bought by God our King. But what do we do about it? What do we do? The Magi came and worshiped Jesus. We don't know how much they knew or what they believed to be true about Jesus, but we know this whatever it is they did believe is certain that we know more. We have the gift of history and the full Bible. Still, they worshiped Jesus with what little knowledge they had and brought their gift to the one who brings peace. What is our response? What is our response? We know way more about Jesus than they did. What will we do? Will our response be worship? We have to decide. The Bible proclaims from beginning to end that Jesus is king over everything. By nature of who he is as God, by his birth in the line of David, by his enthronement on the cross, and one day when he returns victorious over everything, Jesus is king. We must do something with this knowledge. We can choose to be like the Magi, to take what we know and let it worship, let it lead us to worshiping him. Or we can reject him. Choosing instead to be king over our own selves and our own lives. This may seem to be the best plan. It may seem to be the best plan to be kings over our own lives, to be kings over our own destinies, to be kings over what we want to do. And it's certainly easier in the short run, getting to choose what we want and what we want to do. But think over your own life. Think of your own life. When has you being the ruler of your life led you to peace? When have you ever brought yourself to peace? That lasting peace, not a truce, not a moment, not a moment where you feel at peace, but a lasting peace. Have you ever brought that for yourself? Have, has you, your own decisions led you there? Honestly, has it? The story lets us decide. Jesus has, has done everything necessary to reconcile you to, to, to the Father, He's done everything necessary to give you the peace that He offers but you must decide, will you accept his peace or will you reject it? We must decide. The story lets us decide, but we must decide. When I was a sophomore in high school, um, I started playing basketball on the JV team. And I loved basketball. You guys have probably heard how much I love basketball. I don't need to say that, but I loved basketball. And one of the things that basketball took a lot of was time. It took a bunch of my time because you have practice and games and tournaments. You always have something going on with basketball. It was great, but unfortunately, that meant sometimes I miss church and sometimes I miss youth group and sometimes I miss the mission trip because I've got basketball going on. And there's nothing wrong with having different commitments. God isn't mad because we can't make every Sunday. But I realized that I I started to like love basketball a lot. And so they had this thing called the all-nighter. And the all nighter was every youth worker's nightmare. 800 kids, one building, no sleep. Um, it was great as a student, but when I worked as an adult, mm, it was a little different. Um, it's like, I don't remember being so tired. Anyways. <laughs> So, so we had this all-nighter, and we had all these students from all the different high schools in Bakersfield hanging out together in a gym. There's basketball, which is probably one of the main reasons I was there. There's a lot of my friends, another reason I was there. There were girls, I was a teenager. Um, and, and so there's all these things going on, and I was like, man, like, this is a great time. I need to be there, and so I was there. And one of the things that they do at all-nighters is they invite you for the fun, but then they share a message with you. It's a little underhanded, but they did it anyways. And, and so in the middle of this fun time, we are like this structured 30 minute talk. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I was not listening at all. I was like, when are we gonna play more games? Where's the pizza? Where are my friends? What are we doing here? And I don't remember anything he said. I, I wish I did, I wish I could go back and like rewatch it, but I don't know. But I do remember towards the end of his talk, he pulled out a sword and I was like, you got me, man. I'm back. There's this is cool sword in his hand. Starts waving around. I'm like, I'm, not glad. I'm glad I'm not in the first row. Um, he starts waving around. He says, okay. He's, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. Not a literal line, but a figurative one. He says, because I believe that some of you here tonight need to make a decision. You need to decide if Jesus is what you want or the world is what you want. You must decide. If you're honest, the world hasn't lived up to its promises. It promises peace and fullness and forgiveness. It promises meaning. But if you're honest, it hasn't kept its end of the bargain. The world doesn't bring peace or fulfillment. And and part of it is our own fault. We can't live up to the things that we want to achieve. Part of it is the world is broken. And so even if you could live up to it, it doesn't fulfill. But it hasn't given the meaning and fulfillment you want. But he said, "I tell you this: if you cross this line, if you decide to give your whole life to Jesus, to surrender completely to Jesus, it may not be easy, but it will give you peace. And in that moment, I mean I'm shy now I, I'm, I'm shy, I, I know it, but I was really shy. <laughs> like super shy. Like, please don't look at me. Don't talk to me shy. And I was sitting in the back. There's 800 kids who I'm afraid of what they think about me all the time, but especially when I stand up. But in that moment, I realized that God was speaking to me through that, that man. I realized that he was, God was saying through that man, I will give you peace. Basketball can't give you that. Your friends can't give you, girls can't give you that. I will give you peace. And so as scared as I was, as terrified as I was, I knew that God was calling me to come forward. And I'm not gonna make you do that this morning. But I'm gonna ask you, have you surrendered to Jesus? I think so many of us think that if we surrender to Jesus, if we follow Jesus, if we give in to letting him be king and not ourselves, I think we feel like, what about all the things I'm gonna lose What about all the things I have to give up to be with Jesus? What about all the pain uh, of being a follower of Jesus? What about all the fun that I don't get to have? And we look at all these things and we think that Jesus just wants to take from us. But that's not the story that the Bible teaches. The story isn't about what we give up for Jesus, but Jesus giving up everything for us. The story is not about what we have to give up for Jesus. The story is about Jesus giving you the one thing you can't make on your own, which is peace with God, peace that lasts. So we have to ask the question, is Jesus better than all the other things? And I can't make that decision for you, and I don't want to talk you into anything, but I want you to see for a split second, has the way you've lived your life up until this point, has it led you to peace? And this isn't just for people who haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. Each of us must daily decide to surrender to Jesus. Because if we don't, we surrender to other things. We put ourselves back on the throne. Is the thing that Jesus gives peace, this wholeness? Is it better than something you can make for yourself? When Jesus started this project of peace, or sorry, when he completed this project of peace through his death on the cross, he starts with people. Like God in the Old Testament, the mercy seat, the priority is to restore human beings to himself before the rest of creation. But one day he will come back and finish all of it Peace will reign through the whole universe, not just through individual people. And on that day, it will be amazing. One day there will be no more brokenness and no more broken relationships, no more hurts, no more hangups, no more weaknesses or worries, no more fighting or famine. One day Jesus will come back and there'll be peace. And when he comes back, it won't be as a baby in a manger with just a few people knowing but as he has always been the rightful ruler of everything. And he will set right all the wrongs and there will be an unending everlasting peace. One day this will happen. But until that day, we're all given the opportunity. Will we surrender to King Jesus or to King Self? I'm going to invite the band up. So as we close in a song of reflection, I want you to ask, where's your peace this morning? And I don't just, once again, I don't just mean for people who aren't Christians and people who are Christians, we kind of create these categories that we think, oh, you know, that's for someone else. But no, ask yourself, where is your peace this morning? Is it found in surrendering to Jesus? Is that where your peace is at? Or is your peace in something else? Are you trying to create peace for yourself? Are you trying to create meaning and fulfillment for yourself? Because the reality is is that everything else is empty. Only Jesus satisfies. This this king isn't a king who wants to overthrow us by destroying us, but wants to overthrow us by loving us to himself. A peace that lasts in a world with fleeting peace. This is the gift of peace, that the king of everything has come near to bring us back to himself. This is the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, there's so many things out of our control. We can't control how many hairs are on our head, how long we'll live. We can't even control the traffic in front of us. And God, so often I find myself, and I'm sure others as well, trying to reign over my own life. Trying to make it on my own, trying to bring meaning to my own life, trying to bring peace to myself. But the reality is, is I can never do it. And the good news is, is that you have already done everything necessary for me to have peace. That gift of gold that the Magi brought was a symbol of the peace you want to give us today, God. So wherever we may be, would you meet us? Would you call us to yourself? Would you show us even more the peace that we want to find in Jesus? And God, would you, maybe for the first time, open our eyes to how amazing it is to have peace with you through the one and only King over everything, thank you for who you are and what you've done and who you're making us. Just pray this morning, God, we would do the, the necessary business we need to do with you to have peace that lasts in a world of fleeting peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.